0: Today on Reparations in Action.
1: Of course, you already mentioned they have a neo colonial strategy by having a black police chief. So, the the shooting of this brother 38 times last year, December of 2020, that happened on a black police chief. The shooting of this young brother a couple of weeks ago that happened on a black police chief. Now they got a black mayor. So, I expect to see an escalation in police violence and, and, uh, and their Occupation activities in the African community.
0: You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations now! Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, the White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson. White Lies Shattered is a program of reparations in action exposing the insidious lies we tell ourselves as white, or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. Today is part two of a special edition, Tyrone Lewis Lives the Battle of St. Pete, 25 years later. It has been 25 years since the murder of Tyrone Lewis by police in St. Petersburg. October 24th, 1996, Tyrone Lewis, an 18-year-old African, was shot to death in broad daylight by police during a traffic stop at an intersection just a few blocks away from the Uhuru house. And the African community subsequently rose up in a righteous and courageous rebellion two nights that night the night of the murder October 24th and again on November 13th in a struggle that has come to be known the Battle of St. Petersburg and this struggle ended in an absolute victory for the African working class For this second part of the Tyrone Lewis Lives Battle of St. Pete 25 Years Later episode, I had the honor of speaking to National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party, Chimarenga Salambao. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Director Chimarenga has been organizing in the African community of St. Petersburg since the 1960s, and on October twenty-fourth, two 2021, he led a rally to mark the 25th anniversary since the murder of Tyrone Lewis, which gained significant coverage from the mainstream or ruling class media. I asked Director Chimarenga to talk to us about the goals of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement in holding the Tyrone Lewis Lives rally and whether he felt those goals were achieved.
1: Uh, yes, I can. So... On October 24th, as you said, uh, at 6.30, the uh, International People's Democratic Kahura Movement, uh, a constituent organization of the African People's Socialist Party, uh, held a Tyrone Lewis lives rally at the corner of Tyrone Lewis Avenue and 16th Street. Tyrone Lewis Avenue uh, was previously named by the state, 18th Avenue. At that uh, northwest corner is where Tyrone Lewis was pulled over and ultimately uh, executed uh, by James Knight, and so we felt like the 25th anniversary was an important time to make to raise a couple of the demands and meet some objectives. One to r- remind the African community that uh, we had not forgotten uh, this. Uh, occasion that changed the political landscape of st petersburg and set in motion a process where uh, for the the next eight years the state could not kill an african Uh, got the first black police chief in 1997 a year after the rebellion Um, uh, police chief who proved to be uh, pretty important in the city of st pete and i thought the it was uh, also an effort to put out, that out our demand to uh, change the name of uh, 18th Avenue uh, by the state. So it would be uh, Tyrone Lewis Avenue. When people look up at that street sign, it would say Tyrone Lewis Avenue. Uh, also to, uh, to win uh, the African masses to the struggle, not uh, just to remember Tyrone Lewis, but to join organization and win members of the International Peoples Democratic Rural Movement to to uh, be on board with the long term struggle. We think we met uh, to the ex- to one extent or another uh, all of those objectives. Uh, while the ongoing struggle to rename the street Tyrone Lewis Avenue goes on. Uh, we think we were pretty effective, quite a bit of media. We think we were pretty effective in in the messaging.
0: I also asked Director Chimarenga to talk to us about the reparations now take back the Dome committee, which he leads, and how this organization is relevant to the murder of Tyrone Lewis and the rebellion that followed on october twenty fourth and November thirteenth of nineteen ninety six
1: yeah, it's really relevant because back in nineteen ninety six, uh, of course, the, the dome, the what is now called Tropicana Field, had been built uh, partially as a gentrification uh, method uh, that the state uh, organization in Saint Petersburg was using, but uh, also as a profit making mechanism by bringing a professional football team, uh baseball team, to st petersburg of course uh they built the stadium before they actually got the team which was also kind of stupid but uh, nobody's ever accused colonial capitalism of being uh, a smart and thoughtful uh process of of governance and and uh, repression so we think it was really uh relevant in terms of Take back the dome struggle because, one, uh, that uh, property, that 86 acres on the Tropicana Field um, is uh, up in the air in terms of what is going to happen to it because uh, white developers are, uh, you know, chomping at the bits to get control of that property. Uh, sectors of the state are trying to. Uh, give them control of that property uh, that was stolen from the African community uh, back in the late 80s. And uh, we say that reparations are due in the form of 86 acres on the Tropicana field. And the reparation now committee is making that demand and I think they made it quite effectively. And uh, now we're hearing uh, the demand even coming back uh, from forces uh, who were associated with the so-called disparity study that was done by the University of South Florida, I understand, in a secret meeting that they had with the city of St. Petersburg officials just recently, um, somebody in that meeting raised the possibility of, of reparations to the African community in the form of those 86 acres, and they almost stated word for word uh, the demand by the Reparations Now Committee. So it's a pretty significant uh Committee and a pretty significant connection between what happened back in 1996 and the actual demand for reparations being made by the Reparation Now Committee and the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement.
0: Director Chimarenga Selambau was at the Uhuru House the night of November 13th, 1996, which is known as the Battle of St. Pete. I asked him to tell us about the events of that night and his experience.
1: Yes. So I I was there on November 13th, and um, of course, this was a few weeks after the execution of of Tyrone Lewis on uh, October 24th. It happened to be a Wednesday, which was a regular meeting night of the International People's Democratic Uhurubu. So as the day wore on, uh, police had already started, the police had already started trying to round up members of the International People's Democratic Kahoot Movement earlier in the day. They had arrested at least two people uh, on the so-called warrant. Uh, pep spray the chairman, um, and it was just uh, getting very intent. So they were also just police just riding up and down in front of the whorehouse with doors partially open, four deep in a car with shotguns hanging out of the out of the windows as an intimidation factor of the people. Well, the more they did that, the more people that came to the whorehouse and they stood outside watching this go on. So as it got closer and closer for the time of our meeting, which was I think six six thirty at that time. It was starting to get a little dark, and we asked people to come in. Uh, By this time, two or 300 uh, law enforcement forces had gathered, had mobilized across the street in the empty lot. Um, And that included Highway Patrol, Clearwater Police, St. Petersburg Police, and I would imagine several other police departments uh, mobilized across the street. Uh, we asked everybody to come in, and the uh, meeting was just about to get started. The chairman, O'Malley Stella, was leading the meeting, and uh, right as he was to start the meeting, somebody came in and said, the police say if we don't leave the building, they're going to shoot tear gas in it. The chairman was very calm, and he said, okay we're going to evacuate the building and we're gonna you know move out slowly and uh, as soon as he said that tear gas started coming through the front door and as we uh, saw the tear gas coming in through the front door uh, we used an intermediate door that led to our gym we used to have the gym inside the Uhura house so uh, we went through that uh, door and that kind of separated us from the tear gas and you can imagine 150 people inside the whorehouse women children men the women screaming because they got babies and children with them and we're trying to get that under control get them back in the gym and we managed to do that so we tried to uh, evacuate people from the building through the back door. Uh, every time the people, the people would try to go out through the back door, police would shoot tear gas at them, drive them back inside. Uh, we waited an hour or so uh, until we thought it was clear and then they were able to evacuate. However, there were a couple of people left here, and including me and Comrade Gaida Cambon and the president of MPD Sen and uh So we we decided that we were going to try to exit, and I was the first one to test the waters. I went through out the back door and I kind of looked down the street around the corner of the building, looked down both sides, everything's quiet. I don't see any of the masses, I don't see the police, nobody, just totally quiet. I step into the street, And tear gas starts coming at me as I run across the street to the church to get to my car, which was parked in the church parking lot across the street. Uh, They have a wall there in their parking lot. And almost every step I made, I could hear a tear gas canister hitting the wall behind me. Ping, ping, ping. (laughs) Every time I made a step, it was like ping, ping, ping. They're hitting the wall shooting tear gas at me. I managed to reach my car, which is 15, 20 yards, maybe 20 yards away across the street of the church parking lot. By the time I make that 20-yard run and look back, the uh, house, which is a two-story building that covers a half a block, is now obscured by tear gas. It's so much tear gas, I can't see the Ahur house anymore. So, through the tear gas, I see my other two comrades running through holding their noses, coughing. We jump in the car and we take off and we make good our escape. So, uh, it was a pretty, pretty harrowing time. And it was very clear that the state intended to execute us, similar to what they had done to move in Philadelphia. Uh, however, uh, the difference was that the people uh, would um, uh, remove the burning branches that were in the back as the police shot redhead, red-hot tear gas canisters and set the branches of the trees on fire behind the house the young comrades will go and grab those branches and pull them away to keep the house from burning down. So it was so much, uh, so many heroic acts by the masses of African people that night, uh, a military real military engagement and uh, a helicopter was brought down, hit and hit, and brought down a sheriff's deputy was wounded. Um, and a helicopter was, was, had, was forced to land from ground fire coming from the masses of African people. This was a, a rebellion that had political consciousness, which differentiated it from maybe any other rebellion that had happened in this country. Many had been bigger than that one and maybe more damage, but this one had political consciousness. Because as soon as they murdered Tyrone Lewis, some two blocks away from the Ahura House, our headquarters, the headquarters of the African People's Socialist Party and the International People's Democratic Ahura Movement, we were on the spot, passing out flyers, educating the people about the nature of colonialism and what the standing army of the police represented. and. That's different even from what we saw after George Floyd and the rebellions that happened in in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, uh, because we saw the outcome of that, uh, the so-called Black Lives Matter and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, the city of St. Pete is is unique in that way. It still remains a very militant city, very small African population, 23% of the total population uh, is African, but it's been a population that is, uh, very militant and, uh, resist colonial terror. So in, in in that sense, it has sort of an advanced, uh, you know, group of masses in it, but very small. So very much outnumbered by the white population. Uh, but, uh, that rebellion kind of evened out the odds, so uh, that that in short, that's kind of how it unfolded. Um, and you would have had to be there to kind of understand how uh, what kind of impact this had, and the the nature of the actual ongoing uh, military conflict between the masses and the police, with the police marching up and down the street in formation and just gunfire all night long. Uh, I I remained on the floor of my house, uh, my apartment uh, for a long time because there was so much gunfire going on uh, in engagements between the police and the masses. So, um, but it was a dress rehearsal, a rebellion, it's not a revolution. So we saw a rebellion happening that um, again helps to prepare the people for, for a revolutionary engagement. Uh, And I think it was one of the ones that will probably go down in history. as one of the most uh, informed rebellions uh, that have ever happened in this country.
0: Fred Hampton, chair of the Black Panther Party of Illinois, was murdered in a police and FBI assassination Uh, December 4th, 1969, and that assassination came at 4 o'clock in the morning when everyone in the house where Fred Hampton was murdered was asleep. Unlike that pre-dawn raid, the state chose to attack the African People's Socialist Party and all of the community members at the Uhuru House at 6.30 p.m. when the people were wide awake. I asked Director Chimarenga to speak to this factor of the people being awake and mobilized on November 13th,
1: 1996. <laughs> 6.30 p.m. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so the people were wide awake. So so uh, that kind of helped even the odds. The fact that the people were wide awake, everybody's prepared. You got all these people in the whorehouse at one time, 150 or so people. Um, and then people on the street who the police were blocking from coming to the meeting. Because they had caught on off the surrounding streets and actually blocked them and would not allow people to come to that meeting. Uh, uh, just a totally um, counterinsurgent and, and occupied patient. Uh, you know, it was, it was just like an occupation in Iraq or any other colonized country that the United States has occupied. So, of course, they've occupied the African community in this country for a very long time. They wouldn't call it occupation. They just said it was a lot of crime. But, uh, of course, the facts are that most crime does not happen in the African community. The majority of the crime happens outside of the African community, but we got the majority of the police. So the only explanation for that is that black people are colonized and to maintain that colonial uh, oppression, uh, the state must use violence, uh, that hence you will see the murder of Tyrone Lewis and many other Africans in this city. Uh, By the way, I think it's important to note that in the city of St. Petersburg, uh, Tyrone Lewis was not the first African that has been murdered by the police. Several have been murdered. Even back to the 60s, I think of Palmer Sanders, who I knew personally, he was a friend of mine. Uh, I think that was 1972. So, um, big man Daniels, just a, a whole litany of African people who have been uh, killed by the police, uh, not only has uh, never been a conviction of any cop uh, who killed an African in the city of St. Pete, there's never even been an arrest, So, um, let alone conviction. So, it's been a city of uh, dominated by white nationalism and dominated by colonial oppression and uh, occupation by the colonial police.
0: I then asked Director Chimarenga to talk about the global significance of the Tyrone Lewis rebellions of 96 and to what extent their impact was felt beyond St. Petersburg, Florida.
1: Well, uh, Jamie, I kind of like to Emphasize things by telling stories. So, I'll tell you a brief one. Uh, A friend of mine called and uh, called me and told me that uh, he saw on the news that uh, the rebellion had actually made the the newspapers in Egypt. So, uh, this was a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, We were getting communications from African forces in Tanzania being offered land in Tanzania um the party the african people's socialist party was uh because it was clear that this particular rebellion uh had political consciousness and that consciousness and and leadership was coming from the african people's socialist party and the international people's democratic party movement so that impact uh cnn talking about it of course they uh, I'm, I'm sitting there watching CNN one night, and they're saying how uh, the Ahura movement burned down black people's houses and just totally outrageous, uh, if you want to call it reporting. But uh, talk about fake news. Uh, that's really fake news. We we know for a fact that uh, one of these red hot tear gas canisters had been shot into an older black man's house and that house burned down. And that's uh, one of the houses that we were uh, being accused of burning down, that actually burned down through a red hot tear gas canister. So, uh, yes, it did have international impact. And I think it. uh, uh, Our website got so many hits that it crashed. People. (laughs) we were trying to contact us left and right, and and it just crashed. So I'm sure that was from both friends and enemies, but uh, it that's the kind of impact it had. And we have to note that this was before the age of uh, widespread social media. So um, this this was a lot of it was coming through news agencies, word of mouth, but that is how much of an impact it had internationally that newspapers even in Egypt were writing about this.
0: After Tyrone Lewis was murdered on October 24th, 1996, the Uhuru movement adopted a very proactive strategy toward the African petty bourgeoisie or black middle class, which forces have traditionally functioned as a base of support for colonialism. In particular, I asked Director Chimarenga to speak to the African People's Socialist Party's strategy toward an organization that formed in the wake of the first rebellion of 96, known as the Coalition of African American Leadership, and why this strategy was significant.
1: Well, just to clarify, uh, the Coalition of African American Leadership was was not our uh, idea. We did not create that coalition. Um... I won't call his name, but he started that coalition. He was a black petty bourgeois activist. So that coalition already existed. Um, However, it existed uh, as all organizations uh, have class uh, interest. Uh, That organization had the class interest of the African middle class. So they were meeting in... Secret, they did not invite us to a meeting down the street from our headquarters uh, at the Davis Center. And somebody came and told us that uh, the coalition of African-American leadership was meeting down the street. (laughs) So we came and joined the meeting. And uh, in that meeting, uh, we said and made an agreement with the black people bourgeoisie that one, uh, they had to demand uh, because they thought uh, what they were saying was uh, the city is saying they have $20 million and we're going to get that money. And while we said there is no $20 million, however, we will support your demand for the $20 million uh, if uh, you support the demand for complete amnesty for uh, everybody, all the Africans that were arrested. Um Uh, if you support hands-off the Uhura movement, if you can support that demand, we can support the demand for you to get the money. They said, oh yeah, we can do that. So that agreement was made and uh, it uh, created a somewhat uneasy alliance uh, between the African working class and the Black people bourgeoisie, Black middle class, uh, but that did allow us political cover to uh, operate uh, as a fraction inside the Coalition of African-American Leadership. Uh, we had some of the key positions. The Political Action Committee was led by Chairman o'malley Ishitela and Chairman O'Malley Chitello wrote uh, a very historic document um, for the Coalition of African-American Leadership uh, to be presented at its Black Community Convention and uh, bankers, all kinds of economic forces came to that convention, about 300 people attended. And uh, that that document was adopted as a position of the coalition, the demand for economic development in the policy of police containment, uh, the public policy of police containment, implement a policy of uh, public policy of economic development uh, transparency in the economic development policies, um, and and a bl- into the occupation by the police of the black community. And um, it was a historic document. And I think it was, uh, like I said, a very sort of uneasy alliance between the African working class and the African pitted bourgeoisie, who was the is the minority of the African community. However, they have uh, an amount of influence because they have you know, some connections with the media, and the media certainly wants to tr- project them as the leaders of the whole African community, not these African militants uh, who are at the Uhura House in the form of the International People's Democratic Uhura Movement and the African People's Socialist Party. So it was an uneasy alliance. It lasted 4-10, but uh, as one might suspect, uh, the african Petty bourgeoisie, after we did a demonstration at the mayor's house, uh, the leader of the coalition jumped ship, and we discovered that he had called a press conference and organized several preachers, and then there were two coalitions of (laughs) African-American leadership. Uh, He had organized a separate one, uh I mean you you can't make some of this stuff up. Uh this this stuff is when they say truth is stranger than fiction, uh this was a great example. So you know for several weeks there was two coalitions of African American leadership. Uh one that was led by uh Reverend Sykes, Manuel Sykes, and the other one uh was led by another guy. The guy who have founded the original organization, uh, the the other organization uh, eventually disappeared and uh, didn't continue. But uh, also the one led Reverend sites eventually it it uh dissipated as well. So neither neither of those organizations exist anymore. However, uh, like we have for the last 50-something years, the Uhura movement and the African People's Socialist Party, the International People's Democratic Uhura movement since 1991, uh, we still do exist. We exist here and we exist all over the world, continuing to make the fight for revolution and total liberation of African people and the fight to end the counterinsurgency in the public policy of police containment, and implement a public policy of
0: economic development for the African community. I noted that the director was using the term counterinsurgency and asked him to what extent the African community's victory in the Battle of St. Pete was a victory against counterinsurgency, and if it represents the African People's Socialist Party's mission to defeat the colonial counterinsurgency of the 1960s, which militarily defeated the Black Power movement.
1: Well, I, I think it was certainly uh, one of our priorities was to, to, to fight back against the counterinsurgency and, and, and make the uh, demand for self-determination as the highest form of democracy for the African population. So we think that we did that pretty effectively. Um, Of course, the petty bourgeoisie who, uh, some of its class members, particularly uh, what we call confidant members of the black petty bourgeoisie were um, busy at work, trying to undermine what we had made happen for eight years with no Africans being killed and, Daryl Rusun, who is a a comparable force in the African middle class, um, you know, actually start coming out against our demand for economic development and the end to police containment uh, by saying it should be self-containment and, you know, we got to have self-containment before we can have economic development. And, you know, he's gone on to be rewarded and, and even has said himself, uh that every time y'all do something uh I get rewarded for it so those kind of forces who act as minions and servants of the of the uh state the colonial capitalist state the police the courts uh they undermine our ability to make this fight for self-determination and uh they end up becoming enemies of the people and uh I'm not saying that every member of the black middle class is an enemy of the African working class, which is the majority of the African population. But people like Darrell Rusan have worked very hard to uh, get payoffs from the state and the colonial state. And uh, we recognize that uh, in this last local election in the city of St. Petersburg, even uh, as the demand for single member districts to have the districts elect their representatives without the intervention in a general election of this vast and dominant white electorate. uh, That was on the ballot, single member districts for all city council elections, uh, black politicians, uh, city council people, Deborah Figg Sanders, uh, Lisa Willow Bowman on the city council, even the mayor candidate uh, Ken Welch was against uh, the proposal for single member districts. Uh, Renee Flowers, who was on the county commission, uh, came out against it. And the interesting thing about Renee Flowers, Renee Flowers was actually elected from a single member district for the school board before she got elected to the county commission. And she came out against it. So you know it's not about uh, anything except uh the, the white bourgeoisie and the colonial state, uh, you know, carrying out its mission through black faces. So, uh, because it doesn't make any sense. Black people have been making the demand for single member districts for almost forty years, and then all of a sudden, these creeps come from out, under a rock and say, "Oh no, 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 boss! You know, if you do that, we'll go back to segregation and." I mean, just some of the most ridiculous assertions being made about what single member single-member districts is not going to make a revolution in St. Pete. Uh, it would kind of cut into some of the rigged election process that exists in the city of St. Pete, but it would not overturn it entirely. And so this was just a small thing. Uh, the Demand for single-member districts actually coming to fruition in the form of a charter amendment, and on November the second, that amendment was shot down by the majority white population uh, who voted against it, and uh, still no single-member districts, still rigged the election system, and it's part of that whole thing that's been going on in the city for a very long time.
0: I asked Director Chimaranga if he thought the state had made an error in attacking the Uhuru House on November thirteenth, 1996, and if that error was the result of arrogance on the part of colonialism, if the state had underestimated the African working class and the Uhuru movement.
1: Well, I think it plays a role because the, the bourgeoisie, and the co- colonial capitalist forces are always looking f- at society, looking at economic uh, developments and social developments from a lens of the past, that things will always remain the same because they're not di- dialecticians, they're assuming that colonial capitalism exists, and it always will. We don't see it that way. It will. It will be destroyed uh, through revolution and and a movement for African liberation. A lot of ways they do underestimate the African working class, and they underestimate them because they presume, because they're hearing uh, the black middle class make demands for voting rights and stuff like that. And then they say, well, that's what the black people, that's what the black middle class told me, told us that the black people want. They wanted more voting rights. They wanted to make sure they can vote. But down here in the street, on the ground, the people want better housing. The People want economic development and a way to have commerce in their own communities. And the black people bourgeoisie cannot make that demand because they're tied to one sector or another of the bourgeoisie and they do their bidding. So hence, you would see these guys come out against a more fair voting system, come out against single member districts. So uh, I'm I'm, kind of glad that this thing happened the way it did with the Amendment 1, which was the single member district amendment, charter amendment because many of them were exposed. They they had to show their hands that they were actually uh, in the employ. And when I say employ, I mean p- political employ of uh, the colonial capitalist state, which is uh, white power uh, revealing itself as, as neo-colonialism through these African forces.
0: After the rebellions of 1996, the city of St. Petersburg saw an 8-year period during which not a single African person was killed by the police. That 8-year period has ended as of 2004, and since then we have unfortunately seen many Africans killed by the police in St. Petersburg, including Dominique Harris, who was shot to death over 30 times by police at a convenience store across the street from the Uhuru House in December of 2020. A 17-year-old African was shot in the stomach by police in October of 2021, just days before the 25th anniversary of the murder of Tyrone Lewis. All of these police shootings have happened under the African police chief, Anthony Holloway, and the city of St. Petersburg just elected its first black mayor, Ken Welch. I asked Director Chimarenga to speak to the question of neocolonialism, or white power in blackface, and to say what the response from the Uhuru movement has been to these shootings and what he thinks it will take to end police violence against African people in St. Petersburg.
1: Clearly, it's going to take more than voting, <laughs> which is the, which is the uh, because a voting right, so to speak, is something that can be taken away by the bourgeoisie anytime they want to. And that's becoming more and more clear. Or well, sometimes they never give it to you. Like they hide the dominance of the colonial capitalists uh, in this city uh, by using at-large voting in the general election. So the white people still get to, to choose who's going to represent the black community in the majority of black districts. However, I think you asked a deeper question about uh, uh, what it means to have a black mayor and what did I think is going to happen. And I think uh, I don't have a crystal ball. However, uh, the political stars are telling me that uh, the use of a neo colonial policy, a policy of uh, black, uh, uh, white power in black face, would allow an escalation of police violence and uh of course you already mentioned they have a neo-colonial strategy by having a black police chief so the the shooting of this brother 38 times last year december of 2020 that happened on a black police chief the shooting of this young brother a couple of weeks ago that happened on a black police chief now they got a black mayor so I expect to see an escalation in police violence and and uh and their occupation activities in the African community, it, it, it's only going to escalate because it allows the bourgeoisie cover to say, well, you can't say we're doing it because you're black because you got a black mayor. You got three black city council people. and But two of the black city council people were against black people having a fair chance to elect who they wanted to in their districts. So, to say it's three black people on the city council, uh, sort of doesn't make any sense. All of it is part of a neo-colonial strategy, and under neo-colonialism, the violence will escalate from the police on the black community. The occupation of the police in the black by the, uh, in the black community by the police is is only going to escalate. We're going to see more and more uh, vicious attacks on the African community. You're going to see more poverty, more homelessness, uh, higher housing cost. The forces are already raising sand saying it's a, a, a state of emergency, but the bourgeois state has not said it's a state of emergency. The people are saying housing crisis is a state of emergency. Uh, so this is what is going to be in the hands of a African mayor African police chief. And, uh, you know, many people say, well, this was a really historic event. Uh, Ken Welch is the first black mayor of the city of St. Pete. And my reply to that is that the Titanic was the first unsinkable ship that sunk. So, uh, you know, because something is a historical first doesn't mean it's positive. So if we look at it in Historical terms, uh, people thought that Obama was going to be the savior for black people. That clearly turned out to be a neo colonial strategy where more and more violence and poverty uh, came to the black community as a result of having this neo colonial uh, minion as the president. I suspect you will see something similar happening on a local level.
0: I asked Director Chimarenga to speak to the worsening conditions for African people in St. Petersburg and generally.
1: Well, it's in general. It's in general. Gentrification is a, is a colonial capitalist policy that's infecting every African community in this country. So the Africans in the city of St. Pete, are not unique in that sense. We're being pushed out, surrounded by luxury apartments, building. I don't know where they are bringing all these white people from to live in all these luxury apartments, but you see white people walking their dogs and jogging in the black community now. And, uh, their plan is for it not to be a black community, but, uh, we'll have a lot to say about that. And, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and months, uh, we're going to this is going to be a real battle to get uh, reparations and control of the 86 acres on the Tropicana field. That battle continues. Uh, we think it's a righteous one and we believe it's one that the, the African population can unite with. And we're going to keep fighting that battle until it's won.
0: Finally, I asked Director Chimarenga to speak to this historical moment and to compare and contrast this period of resistance and mobilization that we've seen since the murder of George Floyd with the Tyrone Lewis rebellions of 1996, and to tell us what he thinks is distinct about this period in the struggle for Black power.
1: Well, I think one of the things that kind of distinguishes it is that in the year subsequent a year and a half subsequent to the murder of uh, George Floyd, there have been more than 15,000 demonstrations in this country. 15,000. Millions of people have engaged in demonstrations who had never been in a demonstration in their life, and this includes white people. So, uh, you know, it used to be very common when an African was murdered by the police it was very common for white people to say, well, he must have done something. And it, and it didn't even raise an eyebrow. You know, well, it's another African kid, but he must have done something. He was a criminal. In this instance, everybody has a cell phone with a camera on it and it got video when they murdered in, in the most brutal of ways when they murdered, murdered George Floyd. So now the whole world sees it. And nobody can deny this was an outright execution. White people can't say, well, he must have done something because they're watching it live in living color. A man being murdered, it before their very eyes. And I think in some ways that's probably that upheaval and that motion created by that murder does kind of... uh, Characterize the year and a half since that happened. And, uh, you know, in 1996, we didn't have the benefit of social media uh, to spread the word all over the world. I mean, we had email, but we didn't have social media. Uh, nearly as what we had today, we didn't have cell phones with cameras on them everywhere. We didn't have that. So uh, the the communication and the Uh, these incidents of colonial violence by the police are now being videoed and sometimes even live streamed and, and these murders, some of these murders are actually live streamed and people are seeing the viciousness of the colonial capitalist system and, uh, and they're reacting in in the form of demonstrations, sometimes rebellion, outright rebellion. And, uh, the African People's Socialist Party is is going to be leading a revolution that's going to free the African nation, and the International Peoples' Democratic Whirlwind Movement is that on the ground organization that's fighting the issues, uh, fighting for for the, the democratic rights of the African community and self determination is the highest expression of democracy. So, I think it's uh those that's what I would say how this particular period has been. Uh, characterized by all this upheaval, some of it going in a direction we don't want it to go and is being pushed that way by the African uh, middle class with the support of the black, uh, with the support of the bourgeoisie. And the proof of that is the so-called Black Lives Matter Foundation uh, made about hundred. 160 million dollars, I think, uh, shortly after uh, George Floyd was murdered. And then people were throwing down on him, like, where's all this money? And they said, well, we don't have 160 million dollars, we only got 60 million dollars. That's all all we got left, because he did this and that and this and that. Of course, part of what they did, I'm sure, was the leaders uh, got a big payday. I know one of, the, one of the people who led it uh, moved on to bigger and better things to help do to TV shows for CBS and that kind of stuff. So uh, the leadership of the African Revolution is in the African People's Socialist Party and our mass organization, the International People's Democratic Guru Movement the black middle class cannot lead that they're not capable of doing that they don't have the same uh class interests as the class interests of the african uh working class and the african working class can only be freed by the ultimate aim to destroy colonial capitalism and uh unite the african nation uh under socialism so um the black middle class does not have that aim Uh, Sometimes our interests converge, uh, but uh, total freedom cannot come through the leadership of the African middle class. That must come from the Vanguard Party or the African working class, the African People's Socialist Party.
0: I want to send out a big salute and thank you to the African People's Socialist Party National Director of Organization, Chimarenga Selambao for joining us today on Reparations in Action. This concludes our two part special episode, Tyrone Lewis Lives, The Battle of St. Pete 25 Years Later. Thank you for tuning in. I want to say, Long live Tyrone Lewis and the victorious African community of St. Petersburg, Florida. My name is Jamie Simpson. We'll see you next time on Reparations in Action. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations now! This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlosi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricketti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspach. If you liked what you heard today, You can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's chairman, Omali Yeshotela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.